we're going to start this series with a bit of a video. I'm young, I'm handsome, I'm fast, I'm pretty, and can't possibly be beat. I'm a poet, I'm a prophet, I'm the resurrector, I'm the savior of the boxing world. I am the greatest. You know, there have been many throughout history that have claimed to be amazing in some way or another. And just like Muhammad Ali said, I am the greatest, many others have boasted about themselves, saying I am the smartest or I am the most powerful. But before any of these people had a claim to greatness, before any of them had a chance to boast about who they were or what they had done, there was the one person who simply said, I am. His statements of I am, his statements of who he was, were like no other. They pointed to himself, describing his very character and essence, and he is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the bread of life. He is the true vine. He is the light of the world. He is the good shepherd, he is the watcher of the sheep, and he is the resurrection and the life. He is the I Am. What a beautiful name it is. What a powerful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. How good is it to hear this band singing? Praise to Jesus. Can we give it up for these guys again? And Father, we just pray by your spirit that you would come and arrest us with the presence and power and the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come by your spirit and fill us and captivate us, Lord. You are worthy of all honour and glory and power and praise. And we so desperately need you, Jesus. And so please come by your spirit, and reveal yourself to our hearts like never before. Because we need you. Amen. Sorry, I'll try and bring it back together. Uh, It is good to be with you this morning, and it is good to be kicking off a new series on I Am, Jesus in His Own Words. We've been singing what a beautiful name it is. Well, for the next eight weeks, we're going to hear from Jesus in His Own Words, the names that He gives to Himself. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. But today, brothers and sisters, we're looking at the most powerful and the most beautiful statement of them all, and that is simply, I am. Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. I'm I'm basing my uh, series uh, and my talks on a wonderful little book by a guy uh, in London, a pastor called Marcus uh, Nodder. I am the answer to life's biggest questions, uh, and you can grab that online if you want uh, to dig deeper into this series. Um, But he uh, opens his talk, uh, his chapter on this part of the statement uh, with a a story about a building in London. It's in Brick Lane, 
uh, and it's got a sundial on the front and it's got these words on it called Umbra Summus on the sun, sundial. And, and those words are Latin for we are a shadow. We're a shadow. Uh, actually, uh, the Bible says that we're a shadow. Uh, you know, we're here one minute, gone the next. Our life are as brief as the shadow that passes across the sundial. Psalm 144 verse 4 says, Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. So you go outside on a cold day and you breathe and you see your breath and then it's gone. That's what life is like. We often say time flies, don't we? And it's true. We've got clocks on our walls. We've got watches on our wrists. We've got uh, the time on our phones and on our computer screens constantly reminding us that life is short. Time flies. Time is running out. Tick, tock. Tick, tock. We come up, we've come up with all kinds of uh, technology and we've written all kinds of books about saving time so that we can manage our time and do more with our time. But the reality is that none of us can save time. All we can do is spend it. That's all we can do with time. Tick, tock. Tick, tock. The fact is that All of us only have a finite amount of time. The the sand is running through the hourglass all too soon and then our time will be up. And so the question is, what happens next? You see, one day there'll be in a graveyard a headstone with your name on it. And on that headstone there'll be two dates. And in between those two dates will be a tiny little dash representing your time here on earth. Here one minute, gone the next. But there's something inside of us, a longing that it wouldn't be so. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has set eternity in the hearts of everyone and we have this longing and we see this longing in our stories and in the media. So we hear pop songs like Forever Young. I want to be forever young. Because we have this longing that we wouldn't be trapped inside time. We have this desire to escape the limitations of time. In fact, people who go to prison, they talk about doing time, don't they? But the reality is that we're all doing time. We're all locked in this prison of time. It's as if we're born into this tight space called time in which we're trapped and we're finite and we long to escape. We long for freedom. We, we long to see what's on the outside. We, we don't just need time management. We want to break out. We, we want to be free. But the reality is that that would take someone from the outside to break in. Someone who's infinite, someone who's unshackled by time, someone who's unshackled by space to break into our finite reality and our prison of time and to break us free. And in our words this morning in the passage that we're going to go through, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. It's as if we're sitting into this tight, enclosed space called time and then suddenly the door flings open and light floods in and a man steps in from the infinite and from the eternal and he says, I'm able to set you free. I've come from the outside to set you free. You see, 
Out of all the statements that we're going to be looking at this term, there's going to be eight of them. This is the boldest and the bravest and the most important because it's the one on which all of the other claims that Jesus makes for himself are based. He can't make any of the other claims apart from this claim that he is the I am. It's the foundation for all of the others. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go through the passage and look at what Jesus is saying about himself And look at three relationships that he talks about in this passage. The first relationship that he talks about is Jesus and Abraham. The second relationship that he talks about is Jesus and the Father. And finally, the last relationship that he talks about is Jesus and us. So let's go through that together. Now, Lucas, I've got my clicker here and I'll take through the slides. You've been very helpful and I'll take over. Thank you. Let's look firstly at Jesus and Abraham. Can you have a look at verse 56? Jesus says, Your ancestor Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, we went through a series last term, if you were around. We had a 10-week series looking at the life of Abraham. Abraham lived 1,800 years before Jesus. He was the father of the nation Israel. But Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And so as we look at this verse and this claim, Jesus, I want, you, I want to show you three things that Jesus is claiming about himself. First of all, Jesus is claiming to be the promised Messiah. Can you remember that God made an amazing promise to Abraham? He said, Abraham, I will bless you and all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. You're going to have a child. You're going to have a great grandchild through whom all the nations of the world will be blessed. But notice Verse 56, Jesus is saying, Abraham saw my day. And so Jesus himself, he's saying, is the fulfillment of that promise to Abraham 1,800 years earlier. Jesus is the promised Messiah, the one through whom all the nations will be blessed, prophesied to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Jesus is claiming to be the promised Messiah. But secondly, Jesus is saying that for Abraham... Death was not the end. Again, in verse 56, your ancestor Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham died 1,800 years before Jesus, and yet he saw the day when Jesus came. Abraham actually saw the fulfillment of what was promised to him all those years ago. I don't know if you notice in the reading in Exodus 3, God said, I'm the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That was in our reading from Exodus 3. And you, you know, in Mark 12, 26, Jesus takes that quote from Exodus about God. And he says this, he says, he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And so everyone like, for everyone like Abraham, who put their trust in God, life goes on after death. Abraham is not dead. He is alive. During this past week, we've been mourning in the media the death of Olivia Newton-John. 
I've seen articles in the um, papers talking about uh, the icon's $85 million empire. She did a lot of good things. She uh, built a hospital, a cancer centre in Melbourne. I remember it well. It was right next door to where my two first kids were born. She knew a lot of powerful people around the world, especially in the United States. But there's only one thing that matters now. And that is, did she know God? Did she know the God of Abraham? And more importantly, did he know her? Is she living on with God like Abraham is today? Because he's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Thirdly, Jesus is claiming to have been with Abraham in heaven. Look at verse 56. We keep going over it. He says, your ancestor Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And then he saw it. And was glad. So the question you've got to ask at this point is, how did Jesus know that? How did Jesus know that Abraham saw his day, the day when he came from heaven to earth and the Messiah was sent? We're talking about Christmas. How did Jesus know that Abraham saw it and was glad? Surely he had to be there to see the look on Abraham's face when he came from heaven to earth. He says, Abraham saw my day. And he was glad. Now, if you think that's too much of a stretch, just have a look at how the Jews respond to Jesus in verse 57. They say, you're not yet 50 years old. And yet you've seen Abraham? Jesus' answer, of course, is is yes, I have. Which is why in chapter 8, verse 42, he says, I came from God... And I'm here. In chapter 8, verse 23, he says, You are from below, I'm from above. You are of this world, I'm not of this world. In John chapter 6, verse 51, he says, I'm the bread that has come down from heaven. Jesus is claiming to have been with Abraham in heaven. Uh, This is a a picture uh, up on the screen of Elliot Kipchoge. He's a Kenyan uh, marathon runner, and uh, he uh, made a statement about himself in 2017. He told the world, uh, Lucas, my clicker's not working, sorry. I said I'd take over, but clearly you've got more power than I do. Uh, This is Elliot uh, Kipchoge, and in 2017 he said, I really want to be the first one to run a marathon under two hours. I want to tell the world that no human is limited. I want to tell the world that no human is limited. Now, I've got to say, I take my hat off to anyone who can run around the block. I mean, I wasn't born to run, let me tell you. Let alone someone who can run a marathon, let alone who can, someone who can run a marathon under two hours. I mean, it's an incredible feat of human strength. But it doesn't demonstrate that no human is limited. We are limited. We're finite. We're weak. Even Elliot is going to get old. He's going to grow weak. He's going to slow down and one day even he will die. We're all limited. But if you come into contact with Jesus, you're coming into contact with someone who is unlimited. You're coming into contact with someone who is infinite. You're coming into contact with someone who is eternal. You're coming into contact with the great I am. 
That's who Jesus says that he is. It couldn't be clearer in verse 58. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Notice that he doesn't say, Before Abraham was, I was. Wouldn't that make more sense? Before Abraham was, I was. What what does he say? Before Abraham was, I am. Friends, it's because he's not making a claim merely to pre-existence. That would be a bold enough claim in itself, wouldn't it? No, he's making a claim to pre-eminence. He is making a claim that only God is able to make for himself. You may be aware that uh, Rolex and Omega, these two um, luxury watchmakers, are, are always in competition with each other to be the, the number one luxury um, uh, watch brand. And um, if you've watched any James Bond films or if you've watched Casino Royale, there's a, there's a scene where they're on the train and Bond is chatting to one of these uh, ladies and, uh, and she notices the, the watch on his wrist and, and she's like, Ooh, Rolex? And Bond replies, Omega. Now, I can only imagine how much money Omega spent and gave them to be the winners in the battle between Rolex and Omega. And yet the battle continues. Mercedes Gleitz was the first female swimmer to swim across the English Channel. And guess what she was wearing? Not around her wrist, but around her neck. You guessed it. It was Rolex. But the battle continues because one of those two brands was the first to actually land on the moon on the wrist of none other than Buzz Aldrin. And, of course, that was Omega. So back and forth, back and forth, they keep on competing to be seen as the watch that you wear to make the ultimate statement of how rich you are and how powerful you are. But ironically, it's a reminder of how powerless you are, really. I mean, it's a reminder that your time is ticking away, just like the rest of us who can only afford a Casio. But in Jesus, we encounter the infinite. In Jesus, we encounter the eternal. But what exactly do we mean by that? How does Jesus relate to God. That's what we're going to look at in our second point, the relationship between Jesus and the Father. Firstly, we learn about this relationship that Jesus is distinct from the Father. In verse 49, Jesus says, I honour my Father. And in verse 54, he says, it is my Father who glorifies me. And if you've been to uh, Christmas services, you'll know the famous words of John chapter 1, that in the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father. So Jesus is the eternal Word who was with God from all eternity. But then in chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. In chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus says, whoever has seen the Father has seen me. 
I am in the Father and the Father is in me. He makes his claim and in chapter 5 verse 18 it says the Jews sought to kill Jesus because he was making himself equal with God. And we see that oneness of Jesus and the Father in our story today, don't we? Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And of course, Jesus is taking the title from Exodus 3 verse 14, where God, Yahweh, the Father, reveals himself to Moses saying, I am who I am. Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And Jesus would dare to make the claim of Exodus 3 that that is who he is. I am. And so how do the Jews respond when they hear Jesus talking about himself like that? In verse 49. So they picked up stones to throw at him. Stoning was the punishment for blasphemy. And blasphemy is to claim yourself as equal with God. And their response to Jesus' claim is to pick up stones and to throw them at Jesus because this is blasphemy as far as they're concerned. People think that Jesus never claimed to be God, but he did. He very clearly did. In verse 53, the Jews ask him, who do you claim to be? In other words, who do you think you are? And it's obvious from our story today that he's not just a prophet, he's not just a teacher, he's not just a great leader, he's claiming to be the great I am. And that kind of claim raises the stakes for all of us, doesn't it? He's the mere prophet, teacher, leader. No, he's the great I am. That raises the stakes for all of us, infinitely. And so the question is, how will we respond to him? And so that brings us to our final point, Jesus and us. I see two main responses in the story, in the passage. And the first one is very obvious that they rejected him. I mean, look at verse 48. It says they accuse accuse him of being demon-possessed. Surely you have a demon. And then in verse 59, we saw they pick up stones to try and kill him. They wanted to silence Jesus. They wanted to get rid of him. They wanted to put him in his place with nails if necessary. You see, they had their own agenda and Jesus didn't fit into their agenda. They had their own plans for their life and guess what? Jesus didn't fit into their plans for their life. They had their own worldview, they had their own way of life and guess what? Jesus didn't fit. So they wanted to get rid of him. But brothers and sisters, get this. Far more important than their verdict on Jesus is Jesus' verdict on them. And guess what he says of them in verse 55? He calls them liars. He calls them liars because they're claiming to know God and yet they reject him and Jesus is in the only way that you can come to know God. And so he calls them liars. It's interesting, the building that I told you about uh, in Brick Lane in London at the start of the sermon, uh, 
it's had an interesting history uh, over many hundreds of years. It was built by French Protestants as a chapel in 1743, and then more than a hundred years later, it became a Jewish synagogue in 1891, and then more recently, in 1976, it was turned into a mosque serving the Bangladeshi um, Muslim community, and it does so to this very day. First it was Christian, then it was Jewish, And now it's Muslim. But Jesus says being religious isn't enough. To know God, you have to do what Jesus says in verse 51. He says, very truly, I tell you. He's saying, this is very important. I, I want you to hear this. Very truly, I tell you, whoever keeps my word will never see death. That's the claim that Jesus is making for himself. He's saying if we refuse to follow Jesus, if we refuse to obey Jesus, then we don't know God and we remain trapped in time. We have no answer to death after which we will meet God in his role that Jesus describes in verse 50 where Jesus says he is the judge and we will stand under his judgment eternally. If we reject Jesus, we miss out on everything that he offers us, both in this life and beyond the grave, if we reject Jesus. You see, the story that we're looking at today, it ends on an ominous note, actually, in verse 59. It says, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Friends, the temple was the place where God dwelt amongst and amidst his people. His intention from the beginning of time was to live amidst his people in perfect paradise. And the temple was a foretaste of that relationship. But here you have Jesus, the great I am, hiding himself from the Jews and walking away from the temple, the the dwelling place of God. You see, this is how it will be for everyone who rejects Jesus. And that's the worst thing that could ever possibly happen to you. But if we say to Jesus that we don't want him in our lives, then you know what? He'll grant your request and you'll be shut away from him and his presence and all of his goodness for all eternity. That is how it will be for those who reject this Jesus, the great I am. But of course, that's not what Jesus wants. That's not why he came down from heaven to earth. He didn't come down from eternity into our situation to to kind of gloat that he's the eternal one, to, to mock us or to punish us and to condemn us. No, that's not why he came, is it? He came to break the chains of sin and death. And to bring us with him into eternal life. The reason he came down into time was to share eternal life with us. He stepped down into time. He allowed himself, the eternal one, to be constrained by time. And then ultimately to be constrained in his body with nails on the cross. To cancel the debt of sin. To break the power of sin and death. And to set us free so that he could give us his life. That's why in verse 51, he can say, 
Very truly, I tell you, again, he's saying, this is really important. Whoever keeps my word, I'm the great I am. Whoever keeps my word will never see death. So, if you keep Jesus' words about himself, Jesus in his own words, on your gravestone will be in that your name and two dates with a dash in between it. But then a line that goes on forever and ever and ever into all eternity with the Lord Jesus, the great I am, the eternal one. There's another luxury Swiss watchmaker. I'm not sure what it is about the Swiss and luxury watches, uh, but this is um, Patek Philippe. You've probably seen it uh, in these various magazines. Uh, Their watches have, I'm told, adorned many a famous wrists, from Albert Einstein to Princess Diana, uh, from Leo Tolstoy to Victoria Beckham. Uh, This is one of their uh, key ads with their famous tagline on it. You won't be able to read it from back there, but uh, this is one of their most famous taglines. They say, you never really own a Patek Philippe. You merely look after it for the next generation. It's kind of reassuring, right? They're saying that these watches are so well-built, they're so enduring, they're they're so well-put-together that that they just go on forever. You can rely on them to to live on forever. But that kind of makes it a bit unsettling as well, don't you think? To think that your watch will outlast you and that when your time is up, the watch won't be yours anymore because you'll be gone? See, brothers and sisters, time is running out. Tick, tock. And the question I want to leave you with is this. What hope does your worldview give you for that moment when the last grain of sand passes through the hourglass that is your life? We need more than time management gurus, don't we? What we need is Jesus, the one who said, before Abraham was, I am. We need the infinite and eternal one who, like a groom on his wedding day, comes to us and he promises us, all that I am and all that I have, I give to you. All the love all the glory, all the life of the eternal one poured out into our hearts by the presence and power and person of the Holy Spirit so that he makes us his temple by the Holy Spirit. We need the Jesus who says this, very truly I tell you, anyone who keeps my words will never see death. So why don't we take a moment to bow our heads and close our eyes in the presence of the great I am. Let's pray. You can pour out your heart to him. Give him the glory that he deserves. And I invite you to bow the knee in your hearts to this Jesus.
Come, Holy Spirit, and reveal your Son to us. Fill our hearts afresh with the wonder and the glory and the life of who you are. And for those here who would reject your word, would you give us a holy fear of what that means to reject the great I am? And for those of us here who have welcomed Jesus' word in all that he is and all that he's done, would you come again by the power of your Holy Spirit and fill us with the absolute wonder and glory of what that means and fill us with hope for that day when he returns and everything will be made new, all sin, suffering, sorrow wiped away and we'll see the glorious great I am in all of his fullness face to face. Fill us with that hope, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.